Hey, everyone, this is the Daily DC Impeachment Watch podcast. Every weeknight, we've got you covered with up-to-the-minute reporting and analysis into the fast-moving investigation into President Trump. I'm Zach Wolf, a senior writer here at CNN and the publisher of CNN's Impeachment Watch newsletter. Please sign up, subscribe at CNN.com slash impeachment. You can see all our latest reporting on impeachment at that same URL, CNN.com slash impeachment. As you probably know, I'm not David Chalian. He is the regular host of this podcast. I'm filling in for this one day only, uh, and I'm really happy to be here. Tuesday uh, begins the eighth week of the impeachment inquiry. In the days ahead, we'll hear public testimony for the first time, which has the potential to upend the state of play on this story. Luckily, I have two fantastic guests to help me break down the latest developments and the shifting political dynamic. In a few minutes, we'll be talking to Julie Pace, a CNN political analyst and the Washington bureau chief for the Associated Press. But first, I'm joined by CNN senior Washington correspondent Jeff Zeleny. Welcome back to the podcast, Jeff. Hey, it's great to be here, Zach. And I'm super excited to have you in particular because while you are a Washington correspondent, you have been outside of Washington. You've been out in the country, specifically in New Hampshire, I believe, and uh, following um, what's going on in the presidential election. How this is an impeachment watch podcast, obviously. How is impeachment playing out there uh, where the real people are? Well, Zach, it's really fascinating. I mean, in Washington, uh, impeachment is consuming everything, certainly on Capitol Hill and across Washington. And this is a monumental week for that because we are going to see for the first time people testifying and answering questions in public. So I've been curious to know how voters and Americans are seeing this and how presidential candidates are talking about this. Uh, It is striking that most Democratic presidential candidates are not talking about impeachment at all. Voters aren't asking them many questions about it, and they're not bringing it up um, on their own, with the exception of Tom Steyer, perhaps, who has made this a central issue. But beyond that, I sat through just a about a week and a half or so ago, a dinner of about uh, 14 Democratic presidential candidates in Iowa, not mentioned. Impeachment barely mentioned. I was in New Hampshire last week um, with uh, the president's uh, supporters when Mike Pence, the vice president, was up filing for the New Hampshire primary deadline. We spent some time with Trump supporters. They are mentioning it. It is firing up Trump supporters to a person. Everywhere we went, uh, people were talking about uh, what they view as an unfair process. So at this point, anecdotally, it is firing up Republicans. Democrats aren't talking about it. So that's sort of the underlying uh, subtext here as we begin these hearings this week. Is part of the reason for that that Democrats are essentially aligned on impeachment? There is no daylight There's not one Democratic candidate out there that I know of who's saying, let's not impeach Trump. This is a bad idea. And in fact, they're sort of answering what the party wants them to do. Sure. I mean, uh, that has been one of the things over these last eight weeks since Speaker Pelosi decided to launch this inquiry. The Democratic Party is aligned on this. They were not necessarily at the beginning, but that does not mean that they know what the politics of this in the end are. Um, The, you know, vast number of Democratic presidential candidates are talking about other things. They're trying to inspire people. And they're not sure where the politics of this is going. I mean, if you look at a lot of members of Congress as well, yes, they support it on the Democratic side, but they don't want to dwell on this. Because we suspect that 
that the president is likely to be impeached. At this point, it would be impossible for the House, uh, impossible to imagine the House to uh, pull back and not do it. The same is true on the Senate side. We have not seen any shifting uh, movement from Senate Republicans, you know, to uh, get behind uh, supporting this. So I think we know where the politics of this are going to shake out. So this is not what the 2020 campaign is going to hinge on impeachment. But for now, at least, I think it is uh, an interesting split screen. Washington is is consumed by this. We'll see how consumed the country is by this when they see those hearings. I'm not sure if it will be as big of a moment as the Iran-Contra hearings or the uh, Nixon impeachment hearings. We don't really consume things like that anymore. You can, you know, sort of watch it as you move around or listen to bits and pieces of it. But this is the week where Democrats have the burden of making their argument to the American people. And I think it's quite a burden. You talked about how energized Trump supporters in particular are by this. But and this is, you know, the way we cover elections is we go to Trump rallies. Uh, we see the most energized people. These are the people who show up. Most Republicans are not uh, probably, and I'm guessing somewhat here, but I'm, I'm thinking most Republicans probably aren't that, you know, militantly in favor of Trump, that they're going to go stand in line for hours. How is it playing with sort of the, you know, the, the majority makers, I think is what Nancy Pelosi would call them, the silent majority, maybe Richard Nixon, the, the people who actually decide elections? That's one thing that we have to find out. I mean, I think there is an exhaustion factor of all of this. And the president and the White House uh, you know, are trying to discredit all of this and say, you know, Democrats simply uh, have never gotten over the fact that he won and was elected president. I think it's important to remember this is a different moment. This is about the president and Ukraine and withholding aid and, you know, uh, discussing an investigation against a political rival. The facts really are not in dispute here. What we've learned over the past a few weeks or so, as several witnesses have come forward to uh, testify privately and the transcripts have been released, you know, the the basic facts are the same, but it's, you know, certainly given a window into this is a months long campaign and obsession, some would say, by the president about Ukraine here. So I'm not sure how much of that is breaking into um the middle of the road voters, if you will, the suburban voters who will decide the next election. Again, that is why the burden is on Democrats to make their argument in a um, pretty simplistic, compelling way that what the president did, in their view, was impeachable. There are some Republicans, uh, you know, who um, say it was inappropriate, shouldn't have done it, but not impeachable. So that's the burden that Democrats have to make to get those voters to pay attention. One last 2020 question here, and that is regarding Hunter Biden uh, and Joe Biden. You know, Republicans wanted Hunter Biden to come testify. Democrats, they're not going to let that happen. But every story that's written about this includes at least one line about Joe Biden and Ukraine. Is there any indication you were just talking to, you know, where a bunch of people were at a dinner, a bunch of Democrats? Is there any indication that this has hurt him, you know, eight weeks in um, that, that Biden has suffered any blows as, as a result to, to his credibility? It's hard to say in the long term. In the short term, uh, his polling basically has remained fairly resilient. Uh, Joe Biden is uh, not the front runner. He's one of the front runners at this point, one of the leading contenders. And it's hard to pinpoint if any of this conversation has hurt him uh, specifically. Uh, just anecdotally talking to voters, um, you know, most everyone, certainly most Democrats, admire him and like Joe Biden and think the best of him. So they think you know, maybe it was an error in judgment for Hunter Biden to do this, but they still stick with the former vice president. But long term, um, we don't know the effect that this will have on Joe Biden. It certainly gives the air that, you know, 
even if Hunter Biden wasn't doing anything necessarily wrong, gosh, it doesn't sound good, and it doesn't sound like a a new way of doing things. So I think some candidates out there, like a Pete Buttigieg or you know, even Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, who are you know uh, I'm talking about real change, big change, Joe Biden in that respect, it sounds like the old ways of Washington. But in the short term, in a Democratic primary at least, I don't believe it hurts him uh, necessarily. Yeah, but maybe the kind of damage you can't necessarily quantify. Okay, Jeff Zeleny, thank you very much. Uh, We've got a whole lot more to discuss. Plus, Julie Pace is going to be joining us. But first, let's take this quick break. Welcome back to the Daily DC Impeachment Watch podcast. I'm Zach Wolf. Jeff Zeleny is still here with me, and we're pleased to welcome CNN political analyst and the Washington bureau chief for the Associated Press, Julie Pace. Thanks for joining us, Julie. Thanks for having uh, me, Zach. You know more about Washington, I think, than just about anybody around. And w- what we have is a very Washington affair that we're going to see. House testimony, uh, the impeachment inquiry, and sort of prepping us for that. Uh, Republican uh, Lindsey Graham basically said that this whole thing is a joke because we know how it ultimately is going to end up in the Senate. Take a listen to what he said over the weekend. It's impossible to bring this case forward, in my view, fairly, without us knowing who the whistleblower is and having a chance to cross-examine them about any biases that they may have. So if they don't call the whistleblower in the House, this thing is dead on arrival in the Senate. We know pretty much for sure that Democrats will not be calling the whistleblower uh, to testify in this. They want to protect his or her anonymity. Uh, We also know that Republicans are looking for something essentially to seize on to attack it. What, What do you make of the idea that Democrats are doing something right now that we know how it's going to end, and it's not going to end with Donald Trump being pulled out of office. Is it worth it for them to do it? Sure. No, I think that's a great question. And it is one of the essential questions of this whole process. We know the politics right now. We know that if you look at polling, Democratic voters are almost universally opposed to Donald Trump. Republican voters are almost universally in support of Donald Trump. I think for the outcome of this process to change, uh, something fundamentally would have to shift in the country. You are you would have to find um, some way for Democrats to convince Republican voters um, that Trump is not acting in their best interest. Because right now, Republican voters look at this process and they think it is completely politically motivated. And to be clear, you can understand why. If you look at the initial vote, the only vote we've had so far, which was essentially a procedural vote in the House on how to move forward, how to get into this public phase of it. The only people who voted for that for that uh, package of, of rules were Democrats and Justin Amash, who's now an independent, a former Republican. I, I think Republicans in the Senate are going to be watching that polling, though, during this process. I think it is unlikely, given what we know about um, Trump's interactions with Ukraine, that we do have a major sea change in the politics on this. But I think we need to be open to that possibility. We we are living through a historic moment right here. And we don't really know how this will this will play out, but they'll be watching that polling. And the other thing that Senate Republicans will be watching is how a potential impeachment vote in the House goes. If only Democrats and maybe Amash vote to impeach the president in the House, I think it is incredibly unlikely, almost impossible to imagine that you could get enough Republican senators in the Senate in that trial to vote to convict the president and remove him from office. In the substance of what Senator Graham was saying about the whistleblower, 
Is that even necessary anymore to have the whistleblower testify? Or have we learned so much already? Uh, you know, this has moved far beyond the whistleblower. It is so fascinating to watch Republicans sort of try to grasp for their best argument on this. And I think, Zach, you are right. I mean, they are they are trying to see what sticks right now. And one of the arguments that we hear from them is about the whistleblower and the whistleblower's identity. The reality is the whistleblower is almost irrelevant at this point. The whistleblower is someone who came forward, uh, put forward some accusations. And what we've seen since almost on a daily basis is other people coming forward by name uh, on the record to lawmakers and validating what the whistleblower said and actually adding more evidence to it. So so certainly you can see why Republicans want to kind of hang their hat on that on that piece of this. But the the substance of what the whistleblower alleged has been corroborated multiple times at this point. Including by some Republican members exactly. of the administration, like Fiona Hill, a longtime uh, Russia expert at the White House, and other people from inside the administration. Exactly. These are people who, in Fiona Hill's case, someone who was working in close proximity to the president. This isn't even somebody who was uh, a detailee from the Pentagon or the State Department. This is someone who was chosen by the president's top national security advisors to come in from outside of government at that point to come in and advise on Russia. So the idea that she's kind of a deep stater, that she's a, a democratic plant is um, is just laughable because, again, she was chosen by the Trump administration to advise on, on Russia issues. So we know what Fiona Hill for we, we know what she'll probably say because she's already testified. We don't know what John Bolton has to say. But he clearly wants to say something because there was this, you know, to, to kind of distill it down, there's a lawsuit that he, his former deputy uh, in, engaged in to say basically to the, to the courts, should I listen to Congress and testify or should I listen to Trump and honor, um, you, know, you know, this idea of pre- presidential immunity. So when the courts, it looked like they were going to take a long time, Democrats basically stopped trying to make him testify. Last week, he said, whoa, 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 whoa. I have information. I need to testify. Over over the weekend, um, Mick Mulvaney also joined looking for some clarity on this. He's the White House chief of staff suggesting maybe he's got something to say. So, you know, is, is there – the idea for me in that is that there's something that could change minds. Do you think John Bolton has something that can change minds or does he just want to be – you know, feel needed? I think there are a couple of things going on with John Bolton and Mick Mulvaney as well. You know, One of the weaknesses in the Democratic case right now is that a lot of the people that we have heard from are talking about sort of secondhand conversations involving the president. Somebody comes to them and tells them something the president wants done. What they haven't gotten right now, though, is a direct accounting of something the president definitely said that they have firsthand knowledge of. The people who do have that knowledge, John Bolton, Mick Mulvaney, they could really fill in some of the gaps in this case. What we're seeing from Bolton and Mulvaney, though, is they want someone else to make this decision for them. They don't want to have to go and turn to their boss or their or their former boss and say, I'm going to essentially testify against you. Someone else make that decision. Let, let a judge make that decision. I do think, though, one thing we have to keep in mind from the Democratic standpoint I don't think that Mulvaney or John Bolton are slam dunk witnesses for Democrats. I mean, Mick Mulvaney is currently the chief of staff in the White House. John Bolton, even though he left on bad terms with the president, is a Republican. He is a not long-time a villain long for- time, a long time villain for Democrats. So I don't think even if they could fill in some of these gaps, I don't think they are slam dunk witnesses because I, I think we have to take into account their background and their own uh, thinkings about their political futures. Jeff, what's what's your what's your closing 
closing thought here. What, if anything, can Democrats accomplish with these hearings? I thought it was interesting to hear you say these are not really going to be uh, Iran-Contra style hearings because we aren't going to, uh, you know, consume them in the same way. Yeah, we'll see how the country consumes this. I mean, this is a big week without question. The president of the United States is in the middle of an impeachment inquiry, the fourth time it's happened. So this is not a normal week. President Trump may try and say, oh, this is just another uh, witch hunt. This is an extension of something else. This is different. This is a different moment. Uh, my question is, is there so much exhaustion out there about the you know blow by blow of this? Are people still paying attention and listening? And I think how we consume major events like this is different than it used to be. So I do think a lot of people will be paying attention, perhaps not um, watching um, you know, from a gavel to gavel. But I think a lot of people will be paying attention. And this is the first time that uh, these hearings will be held in the open. It's interesting. I mean, for weeks, Republicans and the White House have criticized Democrats for having hearings behind closed doors. And now they're criticizing them for having public hearings. So uh, what I'm most interested in seeing and watching is what the president does during all of this. He's holding a news conference on Wednesday. He is scheduled with a visiting leader of Turkey, President Erdogan. Uh, interesting timing there, certainly for that. But without question, the White House is watching this, and the president uh, will let us know what he thinks, as he always does on Twitter. So I think these hearings are marking, you know, one more step in this process here. Uh, and Nancy Pelosi wants to get this done, if not by the end of the year, shortly after. Right. But the possibility of impeachment by Christmas is what, is what we were talking about last week. Okay, Jeff Selany, thank you very much for joining us. Julie Pace, thanks for coming in. Uh, this has been the Daily DC Impeachment Watch podcast. And thanks to our listeners. We've got a new episode every weeknight. So please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a rating or a comment. It really helps people find the show. I'm Zach Wolf. We'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.